very lucky to have the privilege to hang out a little bit with Anna, who is from the Ukraine and who is traveling the world via motorcycle. And she will be joining us this evening, so please welcome her, and uh, we'll, we'll catch a glimpse of her story. Um, welcome, Anna. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> nice to meet you, Christy, finally. <laughs> One of the ways we usually start talking is, how did you get involved in motorcycling? How did you learn? Like, what was, when did you learn how to ride, and was there anything that kind of inspired you to want to learn how to ride a motorcycle? Oh, well, that's a very difficult question for me because actually I don't know how it started because uh, I never had, you know, family members or friends who were into motorcycling and who would inspire me, you know, or who would take me as a passenger riding. So it just one day, it just came into my mind, you know, that, wow, I would like to learn how to ride a motorcycle. And that's how I started to talk with the guy in the internet and we just started you know, just to chat, you know, normal chat. How are you and what are your hobbies? <laughs> yeah. And I said, that, you know, I would like to, to learn to ride motorcycle. And he said, oh, you're lucky because I'm a biker and I can teach you to um, how to, to ride. Well, but he was not patient enough <laughs> to teach me, so he just gave me a recommendation of motorcycle school. So that's how I started to learn, and after a few months I got my license and I got my first bike that was Kawasaki Eliminator 125. Nice. So that's how it started, and I started to travel first in Ukraine, then Russia, Belarus, and other countries, Asia, etc., etc. Nice. And so the... Since I realize our system is probably very different in terms of licensing, how does it work in the Ukraine? Do you get a license for a smaller engine size and then have to continually no. test again? Or? No, you can buy whatever bike you like. So oh, okay. Maybe that's not the best solution because our riders and, and drivers are very crazy. Yeah. And we have that here too. Yes. <laughs> if you haven't already noticed, being in LA, coming from San Francisco. Oh yeah, the traffic is crazy. Uh, but it's really sad for our country because a lot of people who just get their license and get you know really powerful bikes, they just get crashed in the first year, and yeah, that, that's really yeah. sad. We have that problem as well here too. Yeah. Um, I know in the UK they have like a tiered licensing system where it's very difficult, and if you pass, then you're limited to like one certain engine size, and yeah. then you pass another test and then you kind of graduate so yeah that's the same in Singapore and in uh, in some European countries yeah. and I, I, I think that's correct yeah actually. I think that's probably a better way to go too yeah. so what made you want to travel around the world well, I started to ride in uh, 2005, I mean, st- started riding motorcycle, mm-hmm. and I realized that I just love traveling on the bike to different countries. It's not just, you know, riding between bars and <laughs> coffee yeah. houses. Uh, I realized that I like to explore, you know, different cultures and to meet different people, to talk to them. And so once when I came back from India, I thought, why not to make something global, you know, because every time you have to rush and to be back to your job because your vacation has been finished. <laughs> so you have just several weeks or one month, maybe a few months maximum. Yeah. So I decided that I'm fed up. <laughs> so I quit my job and I started to uh, to prepare for this world trip. It took me more than a year, one year and three months to be, to be precise. And I just left. So that's how it happened. It was a bit crazy for me because I didn't have enough, you know, enough resources for the whole trip. And mm-hmm. uh, I just trusted, I don't know, 
to the universe probably to, to the people around me so so far it just goes and now uh, I'm on the road for one year and, and it's it's a sort of miracle for me because I couldn't expect that I would be on the road so long yeah you know with, with those little resources that I had at the beginning so I'm really thankful to to God, to the universe, and to, to people that I meet. That's really awesome. So you started from the Ukraine. Where did yeah. you go? Yeah, I started that? from Ukraine. I crossed all the Russia to Vladivostok. Then I shipped my bike to Thailand. So I traveled around Thailand, then Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Australia, from Perth to Brisbane. Then I shipped my bike from Sydney to San Francisco. So this is my United States leg started. Nice. And uh, your plans for traveling within the U.S.? Um, Once you leave here in uh, Los Angeles, I want to take Legendary Route 66, and I've bought I bought that big book <laughs> with all the instructions about the original Route 66 because I know that now it's a bit changed. Uh-huh. Uh, so I want to um, uh, to write precisely on Route 66 to end it in Chicago. Uh, then I go to New York, then uh, Florida, Texas, and then I come back to Los Angeles, actually. And I want to visit again San Francisco because I just fell in love with the city and with the people. <laughs> yeah, so I'll spend a few more days there. And uh, then I will cross the border of Mexico near San Diego, then Central America, South America, Africa, Europe, and back home, finally. <laughs> Provided everything continues to go as well as it has for you um, since you left the Ukraine, how long do you think this whole journey will be? Well, actually, I was thinking about two years. So now it's one year finished, uh, uh, one more year ahead of me. But uh, I feel like maybe I should extend a little bit because still three big continents left, like North America, South America, and Africa. And I'm not sure that one year would be enough for me. I think in one year you'll probably get... Just shy of, well, I think you'll finish probably in like eight months or maybe a little more than that. Finish your mm. U.S., Central, and South America. Uh, and then at that point, could you'll be, be shipping the bike to Africa. Could be, because, you know, I, I don't like to be in a rush. I like, mm-hmm. you know, to, to spend time in places which I like, to spend time with people. And, uh, yeah, and my schedule is really flexible. It's not that, you know, I have to be by that date somewhere. Yeah. So... We'll see how it happens. Yeah, and that's the best way to travel. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy it. <laughs> Simply not having to over-document everything. And so. Yeah. And you have uh, a website, or you just go off of Facebook? Uh, I have a website. It's uh, I have a dream, rtw.com. Uh, but honestly speaking, I don't have enough time to update website, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, Though my schedule is really flexible, but it's always either riding or sightseeing or meeting people or, again, taking photos, videos, and I just don't have enough time for my blog, you know. So mostly, uh, all my updates are mostly on Facebook. It just short, you know, text where I am and what's happening just to to let people know what's going on. Uh, But I really hope that's one day I will catch up with my blog and with my web- website. But the main information, of course, can be found on my website. It's I have a dream, rtw.com. Awesome. Um, so, let's see. Where was the, thus far on the trip, where was your favorite place that you've been? It's not a difficult question for me because uh, I would say that all the places are favorite because of people that I meet. And uh, I realized that after one year of traveling, 
maybe 99% of people that I met are really amazing and helpful and supportive. And uh, every day I become more and more rich with all the people, you know, and I keep in touch with them. We we make really close friends. Uh, so for me, uh, remembering the country is remembering the people, you know. Nice. Um, I would say that I love Asia really much because I spent there six months because of problems with the documents for Australia. So I, I was a bit stuck there, but mm-hmm. at the same time I enjoyed. So I miss Asia now. <laughs> so was that a place where you weren't, um, out of all the places you've been thus far, was that a place where you were planning, say, maybe to spend like three months there and ended up spending much longer period yeah, of time yeah, because you enjoyed yeah, it? Yeah, that, that's how it happened. I was planning to be in uh, in Australia a few months before I, I got there, actually. But because of that uh, document issue and I had to wait in Malaysia uh, before I got that carnet de passage, mm-hmm. which I couldn't get in Ukraine. So actually, I was lucky that I finally managed to get it in Malaysia. But it took some time. Yeah, yeah that, that's why I arrived to Australia when it was winter time there. <laughs> and I was freezing, oh. especially in certain parts of Australia, like Melbourne, you know. <laughs> so actually, one of the days that was the coldest, it was in Australia. I was riding at minus one wow. degree Celsius. Still, uh, it, it was so bad and the fog was so thick, I couldn't, I couldn't see anything a few meters in front of me. And I was so scared that I would hit somebody, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so Australia was was really challenged for me, but still I enjoyed it. <laughs> and it's also important to mention what motorcycle you were riding on this trip as well. Ah, uh, that's KTM Adventure 1190. Uh, it's a 2013 year production, so it's a pretty new one, and it was uh, a challenge for me, and, and it is still a challenge, mm-hmm. uh, because it's the new bike and nobody knows anything about it, you know. What True. The, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but after one year, I can say that it's a really reliable bike, and I really enjoy riding it. Uh, though sometimes it's a bit heavy for me, and it's a bit tall, because I used to ride uh, a big cruiser, you know, mm-hmm. which is much lower. Yeah, but probably still, about 26 inches is the yeah, seat on an yeah, average cruiser. Yeah, but still I enjoy the bike, because it's it's really user-friendly, and you know it forgives a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's my first enduro bike. And I still feel uh, a little bit uncomfortable, especially on certain roads. Uh, but so far, so good. A few times I dropped it, but uh, with zero speed you know, on traffic yeah. lights or somewhere because I couldn't balance it. And you but, have boxes too, so that helps I, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. helps. Without uh, the boxes, it would be completely hanged down. Mm-hmm. With the boxes, it's maybe at like a 45 degree angle, so it's just a little yeah. bit easier to lift up. Yeah, yeah. Though I cannot lift it up. Uh, if it falls, so uh, I need help <laughs> from the people around me, especially from from the men. But so, what inspired you to choose the KTM 1190 for the trip? Uh, mm, well, it was maybe coincidence at first. Uh, I wasn't thinking about KTM at the beginning. I was thinking that uh, I'll take some Japanese bike, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work out with uh, with motorcycle dealers in Ukraine and that's how KTM showed up they got interested in my project I'm in Ukrainian office and they mm-hmm. agreed to start negotiations with Austrian office and it took us some time but finally we yeah we agreed on yeah on the bike and uh, yeah they provided the bike for me awesome yeah but but now I'm really happy that it's KTM really. yeah Really, because uh, there is something about KTM. It's not just the bike. It's not just you know the vehicle. There is some kind of uh, spirits. <laughs> and yesterday I met uh, 
uh, Selvaraj Narayana, who used to be vice president of uh, KTM California office for 20 years, and we discussed yesterday a, lo- a, lo- a lot of things, uh, including KTM. And he said that, yeah, KTM, it's, it's a big family with some kind of philosophy, with some kind of, you know, spirit, and, and that's what I feel. Uh, yeah, and I'm really happy about that. You may or may not be able to, depending on your route going through... Uh the United States, but there is a movie called the Penton uh, documentary, and that's basically the the birth of KTM. Uh huh. So depending upon where you're at and and the way that this uh, motorcycle movies, uh, and you'll find motorcycling in general in the United States is very small compared to mm-hmm. how it is in in other countries in Europe and Asia, mm-hmm. especially very few people compared to the overall population ride. Mm-hmm. So. A motorcycle movie or a documentary is usually not something that is sponsored by a big distributor in a movie house. So, in other words, like the the Why We Ride movie was started, completed on kind of crowdsourcing, kind of the the Kickstarter Mm, type ways. Uh And the way that it appears in theaters is that you get together a whole bunch of people and you try to sell out and pre-purchase tickets to get it to this theater. And if you don't have, you know, let's say there are 100 seats in the theater, if you don't sell 75 tickets before the showing comes up, Mm -hmm. you won't have it at that theater. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially how the Penton documentary is is appearing in different theaters uh, Mm -hmm. world or nationwide right now. And if you happen to land in a city that has it, you should absolutely see it because it was basically an American that was doing these six-day trials Mm. um, in the 60s, uh, 70s, and really wanted to use a bike in the dirt other than a five, six hundred pound Harley. Mm. And uh, he decided to develop his own motorcycle. And what happened between him and uh, this little company at the time called KTM and Matikoff ended up becoming the first enduro bike that okay. KTM produced. And so that oh. was kind of the birth of KTM. So it's kind of a cool story. If you happen to be in a location while you're in the U.S., yeah. definitely see that. Because I don't... I'm sure they'll eventually uh, have DVD and, and, mm. and Blu-ray of it, but uh, it's kind of cool. And and I was lucky enough to go to the premiere of that here mm. in Los Angeles, so I think that's where I saw a lot of familiar faces mm-hmm. at KTM but didn't necessarily talk to them. Mm-hmm. Interesting bit of history, but very cool that you were able to go to Marietta and... Uh, Talk to them at the headquarters. Yeah, that's yesterday I've been there and uh, I met Mr. Sell, the uh, ex vice president, and now he's in charge of uh, Southeast Asian market. So he's developing KTM offices in all those countries. And yeah, I was really inspired. We had a really nice talk, you know, not only about writing but about life. He's really wise man. Yeah, and I met a lot of people there in KTM, and uh, they promised me support all around the United States and in Central America and South America even. So, awesome. Yeah, it was really fruitful for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you been to any other KTM offices other than, of course, uh, your negotiations in, in Ukraine, uh, I imagine? Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to meet KTM office in every country. I've been nice. in Thailand, in Malaysia, in Singapore, in Singapore. Extremely nice people in KTM. That just in amazes Australia, me. Well. In Singapore, of all places, that they even have like a KTM distributor. Yeah, yeah, they have. They haven't. They're really strong. And in Australia, KTM office was really nice yeah. to me. Yeah. 
Australia, I would imagine, but Singapore, I wouldn't even imagine that they would even have KTM. So that's yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, they have. They have. <laughs> Back when I did my trip through South America, KTM was completely new. You know, mm. seven years ago. It was, what? KTM? And I think I ran into one person with a KTM. I don't even know if there was a dealership back then. But I was the reason why I went the way I did with going down to South America, to Ecuador, and buying mm-hmm. a motorcycle is because I was terrified that any motorcycle that I picked, first of all, I didn't even know how to ride. So which yeah. bike am I going to choose? I mean, it's <laughs> like being hungry and walking into the supermarket and trying to narrow down, what do I want to eat? Um I was terrified that by getting a, a motorcycle, and at the time, KTM would have been a perfect example, no one would know how to work on it. No mm-hmm. one would have the parts. You, know, you wouldn't have any of the resources, the mechanics, any of that kind of stuff. And I, I do believe I remember seeing someone on a KTM and thinking, man, that guy is going to have a hard time. <coughs> yeah. He better be his own mechanic. Yeah, but now KTM is really improving. Exactly. And, uh, and I heard that. Yeah, and last year they, I, I think they had the, the biggest sales actually of uh, adventure bikes. Yeah. So <clears> the eleven ninety and then the twelve ninety Super Duke have, yeah, have yeah. really um, spurred sales for KTM. Yeah. So <clears throat> the plan is to go out to New York and then to come back through the South. Yeah, <coughs> I'll go to Florida, Texas, and then all the way back. All the way back to Los Angeles. So, though in, my initial plan was uh, to cross the Mexico near Texas, but again, as I said, my my schedule is is very flexible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I decided to come back to Los Angeles again and to San Francisco because I met again all the nice people. <laughs> So I extend my stay in, uh, in the USA a little bit. I was yeah. able to do a really great ride between uh, Daytona Beach in Florida oh. and uh, Texas, actually. So I'll mm-hmm. make sure to get you those details. Yeah, yeah sure. But uh, I honestly, before that trip, and that was on an Indian motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that trip, I had never really traveled long distance in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I've traveled mostly outside of the country. And mm-hmm. uh, and that was just uh, an amazing little trip for me to go up the Florida Panhandle mm-hmm. and to stay mm-hmm. along the coast and go towards Texas. So that um, Texas Hill Country and then the barbecue down there. <laughs> because as we have talked earlier, we already had dinner. Um, yeah. And and what what does a Ukrainian adventure goddess and an American adventure goddess have for dinner? We eat food from Spain. <laughs> um, it was awesome. Thank you so much for the dinner. <laughs> There's somehow food is always attached to everything, but um, yeah, Texas, Texas Hill Country is really great. Green riding um, mm. and and the barbecue down there is uh, just amazing. And then as far as leaving Texas and coming towards California, you'll probably get a little bored. Uh, it's okay. You know, road is never boring for me. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, just wait. When you come back through LA, we'll make sure to talk again. Okay, you no can problem. Tell you know what? You're right. It was boring. There was a stretch that was just absolutely nothing. But um, so, I think the first time you came on my radar was because I am friends with Stuart in Australia, and he was mentioning you. So, how did you meet Stuart? Did you? I don't even know Stuart to be honest. We're just Facebook friends. Uh, well, you know, the, uh, my problem is that I also don't know all my Facebook friends, and uh, some of them I know just... I know you hung out with them. <laughs> uh, fro- Stuart from Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we just met once. Redhead, in, beard. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. So we have just mutual friend in in Brisbane, and we organized that you know dinner for for the people who want to meet me. So that's how we met. It, it was awesome. just once. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. has pretty much everything been coordinated through social media i mean that has been like yeah a huge mostly yes benefit. yeah yeah that, that, that's why i'm a big fan of facebook yeah <laughs> some of people you know i'm you not just... happy with it but it's the matter of how you use it and for me yeah. it's uh it's really a great source of contacts of connections so and, you just kind of cast the line out hey california i'm gonna be yeah. traveling through san francisco la and then out towards 66 it, exactly that's what do you got been. for me yeah that's how it happens and actually for the past year of my world trip i stayed maybe six or seven times in hotels and motels mostly it's uh just local people accommodation which is just amazing and of the local people that you stay with are the majority of them uh, also motorcyclists uh it's always different yeah Yeah, sometimes it's yeah motorcyclists community sometimes ukrainian or russian diaspora sometimes just normal people you know who follow me on facebook or on my website and sometimes they just send me messages with their offers of accommodation or sites you know whatever sometimes i even don't ask about it (laughs) i just get all this yeah all these offers and and it's really amazing yeah so I know I talked to a lot of people who were like, God, I just put the trust out there to like, you know, yeah. that's a huge, a really huge thing for a lot of people is to just kind of surrender yourself to the experience. I mean, just me, I, you've never met me. You, you know, we've chatted over Facebook. I've said, Hey, you know, come on over. We'll do dinner. We'll, you know, mm-hmm. record a podcast. And at this point in the trip, you're like, eh, you know, for the most part, everyone's good. Has there ever been any experience where you've kind of been like, eh? You know, I cannot remember any of the situation during this whole trip. Actually, no, yeah. as I mentioned before, like 99% of people that I met are really amazing and nice. You know, that's 1%. It, it's not even the people that I mixed with, uh, but just people on the streets, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere in the bar who, who didn't behave nice. But yeah. again, <laughs> I don't mix up with them, and, and, yeah. and that's it. But mostly, yeah, I think that it's uh, it's the matter of your attitude to the world. It's the matter of how positive you are, and yeah. the same attitude you will get back. Maybe not from the same person, but from you know from other people, and just uh, some the, not sometimes, but most of the times, you just meet right people at the right place at the right time, and any problem that you face. Uh, somehow it would be solved sooner or later just don't be in a panic and just wait what what the world will offer you mm-hmm. and, and that's it works 100 percent of the times really because there were a lot of situations that i didn't know what to do you know i don't have money i don't have enough strength i'm tired and uh, i don't know how to continue but after a while somehow i just realized that i have to move on and somehow it would it would be solved mm-hmm. and it happened <laughs> and so what was your because a lot of these trips, um, at least I can say for myself, you learn a lot about yourself, about how you can manage and handle things. So one of the things I encountered on my trip was that my chain actually got loose enough that it came off the uh, sprockets Mm -hmm. and ended up, or gears, and ended up um, having to figure out on the side of the road how to do a chain tightening exercise and put it back on, Uh. (laughs) which is something that if you've, I mean, we didn't really talk a lot about my trip, but um, just to give you an idea, and you kind of know that I did not know anything about riding a motorcycle (laughs) except from having a license in the U.S., which isn't much to say, buying a bike in Ecuador and then 
theoretically having an oil change already done mm-hmm. when I bought the bike, right? So it was only a 200cc, which means it, it held like one liter of oil. Mm-hmm. Got down to the south of Peru and thought, eh, maybe I get an oil change now. <laughs> So, I'm thinking it's like a car. You go for like a thousand, couple thousand miles, you get an oil mm. change. No one's told me different, and my book is in Portuguese <laughs> for this bike, because the bikes, uh, the Hondas are manufactured in Manaus, in Brazil. So, I get a, an oil change done, and uh, the oil comes out just totally black, and, and like Turkish coffee. <laughs> and the mechanic is yelling at me in Spanish. And I'm trying to explain to him, I don't know what's going... I I thought it was like a car. My car every 5,000 miles. So you're telling me this is slightly different. Um, That was pretty much my first formidable lesson in in motorcycle maintenance. And of course, (laughs) I did not know anything about chain tightening. So I guess getting back to um, my point of all this was you... You don't think you know a lot about fixing the KTM on the side of the road, but something comes up and you're forced to kind of go, okay, so I'm going to have to deal with this problem and there's no one else. Were there any experiences like that? Well, you know, probably I am very lucky because uh, for this year I never experienced any problem with the bike. Maybe because uh, it was brand new, Mm -hmm. right? And um, it was prepared in perfect way by Ukrainian mechanics. And uh, I have it serviced regularly in KTM offices, Mm -hmm. of course. So uh, there was never a situation that I didn't know what to do with the bike and it and they didn't want to ride, you know, to, to go on. <laughs> so, but uh, but you're right. Um, I'm the same like you. <laughs> I don't know much about, you know, yeah. about all this technology. And I know theoretically how to do a few things. But, uh, again, I never had to do it. Because yeah. there is always somebody who would help. And the KTM family, who is very helpful in all the countries. <laughs> so, so far, so good. Yeah, and... Uh, I learned to trust the bike. <laughs> and well, it helps. Good. Yeah, I think um, I think the the most struggle I had uh, figuring out what was wrong with the bike was that the battery was dead. You know, uh, very familiar. Click, 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 click. No turnover, and you know automatically. Okay, it's the battery. Yeah, so, that's the problem with the bikes that you rent because you don't know anything about the bike and about the previous owner yeah. and the way they treated it. But when it's the new bike... Exactly. You won't need a new battery uh, for a while on the KTM. Yeah. <laughs> I needed a new battery in the middle of Brazil and oh. was trying to explain... And it's actually a bateria, so it's no different than it is mm-hmm. in Spanish. Trying to explain to these Brazilian mechanics, hey, I need a battery. That's it. Oh, well... We'll take a look at your bike in a minute. Okay, don't trust the girl who's been riding it for like the last like you know twenty thousand kilometers. Um, and they they probably looked at so many different parts of that bike before they actually came back to me an hour and a half later and said, "You need a new battery." Oh really? <laughs> because I'm a woman, you don't believe I need a new battery. So I literally spent. Um, an hour and a half there while my friends continued to move up north through Brazil waiting and then finally they gave me a new battery and (laughs) we take like this group photo and I've got all these Mm -hmm. mechanics in the picture and then I take off and I'm just thinking (laughs) oh please tell me not every town is going to be like this and really like I was pretty lucky as well uh 
the bike was a 2006 and I was traveling in 2007. Mm. So it wasn't, it wasn't very old either. Um, all I needed to do were oil changes and chain tightening and, Mm -hmm. um, and I needed to change tires somewhere on my Mm -hmm. trip. Mm -hmm. But, uh, other than that, um, the bike managed to put up with a lot for me considering the oil change distance you know two entire countries the full length of ecuador and the full length of peru before i finally decided to change my oil so how soon were you supposed to change the oil after on that reservoir i mean when you think a car's gotta be at least three or four quarts and don't quote me on it because i've never changed the oil on my vehicle but you know a car is typically around like three to five thousand miles so i think everything's that way but the smaller the oil reservoir and the smaller also the smaller the engine size um the more frequently you have to change it so with the one liter the recommended uh change was every thousand kilometers and I ended up changing it every 1,500 to 2,000. And so mm. whenever I would pass a shop with oil, I would just get another bottle of oil just to keep with me. But that's and then, too often. Yeah, it is. When you're traveling 40,000 kilometers, that's a lot of oil oh, changes. Yeah. <laughs> um, which obviously I didn't do every uh, every 1,000. <laughs> and let's see. Whatever the actual distance is between Quito and Arequipa... Um, that was the first oil change, so that was quite a few thousand kilometers that I went. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, that was one thing where I learned how to adapt. And, okay, well, I'm not going to um, be in, a, in an area where someone's going to know how to change my own. Mm-hmm. Because at the time I traveled, there weren't a lot, I guess, of, of motorcycles in these far-off cities. Like, mm-hmm. in South America, and I'm sure for most countries, uh, big cities that you've been to, once you get outside the big city, there's no more traffic and it's just mm-hmm. quiet because yeah. everyone has a car and they don't travel with the car. They travel within the city. And so once you're outside of city limits, it gets kind of quiet. And then you end up with, um, you know, few and far between mechanics. Mm-hmm. They've even seen a motorcycle, at least mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. South America is concerned. I'm sure it's a lot better now in the last seven years. But uh, there were some, some guys who, who didn't know what they were doing. And I think one of the... Uh, more dicey situations that I was in in Venezuela. You were talking, we were talking earlier about potholes and, and mm-hmm, how many mm-hmm. roads are paved. Well, the worst potholes, sizable wise, was in Ecuador, but the most frequent potholes were, was in Venezuela. And I don't know, be there. <laughs> Luckily. Well, but, you know, with the dual sport and with your clearance on the KTM, you should be fine. But uh, um, the, the Honda just, you know, it's like traveling across a road that's like swiss cheese where the holes are everywhere Mm -hmm. and there's only so much dodging potholes that you can do before finally one of them catches you off guard and basically um popped the bead of the tire outside and the rim was a little bent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i couldn't keep riding like that and needed to pull over and so the guys took off and left me behind and i said i'll I'll meet you guys later no problem (laughs) And I stop at this uh, roadside car mechanic. Hey, do you know how to, you know, bang my rim back together and, and, you know, fix the tire? Sure, 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 okay. And he's never worked on a motorcycle before. (laughs) So he takes apart the front wheel and uh, pops the tire off and takes a hammer and bangs the rim back together and puts the tire back on and puts the front wheel back on and then there are parts left over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is something so. you never want to see with a mechanic is extra stuff. 
No. <laughs> when it originally started off is every piece had its place on the motorcycle and then you're left with extra. So once he started picking up the rear tire, I said, I got this. I never really took a tire off my bike before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was very lucky that I put it back on um, true and, and not, you know, at an angle. But uh, no extra parts were left over at that. <laughs> and once I left this little place in, uh, in the middle of Venezuela... I realized that, um, and it was, it's called a shim, but at the time I didn't know what it was. And on a really small bike, there isn't a gas gauge. There's mm-hmm. just the, um, tachometer and then the, uh, actually it wasn't even a tack. It was the speedometer and the trip gauge. So it told me how many miles or kilometers I went. So he broke the shim on the front wheel that told the bike how fast it was mm-hmm. going. And so without knowing what speed I was going... It also didn't do the trip gauge, the trip mm-hmm. meter. So I didn't know when I needed gas. So I had to fill up in one town, find it on the map, figure out when 200 kilometers was, and then mm. make sure that by the time I got to this named town, I'd fill up with gas. Because I had no <laughs> idea how much gas I had, because I had no <laughs> idea how fast I was going. So uh, it was good that no one gives speeding tickets, because I didn't know how fast I was going. <laughs> traveled through the entire country without having a speedometer and finally got to Columbia and got that problem fixed. The less you know, the more comfortable you feel. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, except when there's stuff left over. <laughs> <laughs> After South America and then Africa, you will go back to the Ukraine. Yeah, so Europe would be my last destination, but uh, I think that I will not cover many of European countries because uh, I will miss my home so much (laughs) that I would want to be back as soon as possible. So my idea is uh, when I come back to Ukraine, I'll spend a few months there and maybe I'll come back to Europe to cover it, you know, Mm -hmm. in a more full mode. And I want to visit all European countries, of course, but but we'll see. Uh, It's still far away, so I'm not thinking much about Europe yet. Just I have to cover South America, Africa, and then we'll see. <laughs> Still a long way to go. So what when you when you told your parents and your family that you wanted to do this, what was their reaction? Um, well, I, I don't have parents anymore, uh, but I have uh, aunts, cousins, and uh, of course they know about my hobby. <laughs> uh-huh. And well, they were surprised, and uh, of course they they were worried and. Uh, they were concerned about my safety, but they realized that they cannot do anything about that because they know me, and mm-hmm. <laughs> if I decided to do something, nothing can change that. So we we keep in touch, and uh, yeah, we we call to each other and we send messages to each other. So they they they're sure that I'm safe. And actually, in September, a few of my friends will come from from Ukraine to New York to visit <gasps> me, awesome. and also my aunts. I'm I'm very excited. Very looking forward for that. Yeah, but yeah, so far so good. Family reunion. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, after being far away from home for one year, for more than a year already, yeah, uh, I feel that, that I miss my country, especially with all the bad things that are happening now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm very worried. And one one time I, I felt really ashamed that, you know, I'm far away from my country, that uh, I was in Singapore at that time when, mm-hmm. when all this started, and uh, I thought, oh, now I feel so comfortable in in this good, amazing country, Singapore, and uh, and my country is suffering. So maybe I have to go back and to support somehow. 
but then my friends told me that look there's nothing much that you can do and when you come back so it's better for you to move on and maybe to to tell to other people what's going on in the country mm-hmm. and just to be a sort of ambassador for the country so yeah I decided to move on <laughs> yeah that's of course, I miss my country, but uh, I would, you know, I would not change my world trip for anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm sure that that's the best decision in my life so far. <laughs> nice. And so you were talking about returning after going through the East Coast and coming down the South and coming up to San Francisco again, doing something with Google. Uh, well, just uh, there are a few meetings that have been organized at the mm-hmm. moment. Uh, maybe it was, you know, with some presentations at, uh, you know, maybe at Google or Facebook. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, also what I'm trying to do during my, world, during my trip is not just writing and sightseeing. And I'm trying to visit uh, orphanages or, mm-hmm. you know, women's shelters or some youth organizations with some, you know, with some talks, with some motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah speeches or whatever uh, just to let people know that uh, you know you, you should not be afraid to dream and to chase your dreams even though you're just ordinary person mm-hmm. even if you're not that rich or that famous you, you can do it because I'm just nobody you know I'm just ordinary girl <laughs> but I want I had the dream to travel around the world and no matter how difficult it was but I managed at least to start it I'm not sure if I will finish it mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but but at least uh, I tried to do it, and I want to tell them that they can do it in the same way. It should not be traveling or world tours or whatever. But everybody has his or her own dreams, right? Yeah. And everybody has the right to to achieve these dreams, and and everything is possible. And, and I'm absolutely sure if if there is some thought that came into your mind, it means that it can be fulfilled. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there at all. Yeah, the seed so, that's planted. Yeah, yeah. So there are a few meetings still pending in San Francisco. So, uh, and I would want to come back and you know to finish awesome. <laughs> a few things which are not finished yet. Well, and it has to be pretty cool. I know we talked about this earlier. It has to be pretty cool knowing that you're probably the first and the only person from uh, the Ukraine and a woman as well to be on a world trip traveling around. Yeah, I think I'm uh, the first woman in Ukraine and on the territory of former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, uh, well, I cannot say that it doesn't really matter for me. Yeah, somehow it matters. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. That's but, not at the forefront of your mind yeah, every day. Yeah, You're just like, eh, I'm just, you know, a girl who likes to ride a bike and, yeah, actually, and see uh, the world. And... It mattered for me more when I just started the trip mm-hmm. because I realized that, yeah, I'm the first one and maybe the only one for for a few more years, I, I don't know, but now after one year, it really it doesn't matter mm-hmm. for me much because, uh, you know, I felt that enjoyment of traveling and of experiencing uh, all the cultures and all the people that, that I meet. That's what matters. And even if I am the second one or the tenth in Ukraine or wherever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the that's the best experience in my life, and uh, of course I will remember it for my whole life. And sometimes I even feel that all my life before world trip was a sort of preparation, you know, for the world trip because now my life is divided before world trip and, <laughs> and after that. Yeah. BWT and AWT. Yeah, I don't know what will happen with me after you know after I come back home, but I'm sure that I will not stop traveling. Uh, once you started traveling, you you cannot end it. <laughs> yeah. 
maybe you'll stay at one place for some time, maybe for a few years, but you know, you will always feel that, you know, that, that yeah, <laughs> to continue and to go somewhere, you, you just never stop. Yeah, some of us become really adept at, at suppressing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is true. So, uh, I'm planning to write a book after my adventure. It, it would be called I Have a Dream because that's, that's the name of, mm-hmm. of my trip, I Have a Dream. And uh, I already have that idea that uh, after I finish this trip, uh, after I write this book and publish it, uh, then I have the second world trip. <laughs> because still there are a lot of countries that I didn't visit yet oh, yeah. and I will not visit. World's a big place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So maybe during the second world trip I will visit other countries that I haven't been yet. And of course I would want to visit again my friends that I made during mm-hmm. this trip. Yeah, so a lot of plans <laughs> in life is short. <laughs> this is true, so keep traveling. Yeah, I don't want to miss any chance, you know, to, to travel and to, to see more. That's exciting. I think that's the best thing that can happen with the person in life. It's traveling and exploring the world and yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think there was a... I want to say it was a bumper sticker on one of uh, my friend's bags that I had met at Overland Expo, and it said um, something to the effect of uh, the best money spent as far as an education is in traveling. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. and, and that's totally true. I mean, I, I think I first started traveling, at least by myself, when I was 19 or 20 and went on a trip to Costa Rica that was supposed to be completely planned where I had like a driver and a place to stay and the minute I arrived in the country no guidebook the minute I arrived in the country I got the call hey yeah the whole thing fell through so uh, first night at a hotel is on me and then everything's up to you (laughs) what? you know granted I spoke Spanish so that was good but I... 19, totally not ready. Miserable. Just mm-hmm. not... It was definitely not an experience that I knew I would um, have anytime soon as traveling by myself again. And it didn't happen until I was 25 or 26 mm-hmm. when I went uh, traveling with uh, with someone I was dating at the time. And we went to Greece. Mm-hmm. And it was a fun trip. And I completely planned like the hell out of that trip. Every minute, activity, everywhere. And and it was, to an extent, over-planning. Like, the kind of vacation where you take it and then you need three days of just sitting mm-hmm. in your house because you're, like, you're exhausted from your vacation and you can't go back to work yet. And somewhere towards the end of that trip in Greece, um, we ended up breaking up. So oh. I literally got dumped in the middle of a foreign country. And at that point, once I got back, I thought, you know, okay... 19, wasn't ready to travel by myself. 25, went on a great trip, got dumped in the middle of the country. And so I'm no longer interested in traveling with another person. I totally mm-hmm. want to try this um, traveling by myself thing again. I think I'm ready. And I think that was like May of 2002. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time October of 2002 came around, that's when I quit my job and spent six weeks traveling mm-hmm. in Nepal. Um, not so much by myself, but it was with um, two other people in an organized group. And mm-hmm. then the layover that I had on the way back in Bangkok. So that mm. was the first time I went to Thailand. 
that I decided, okay, so I've already demonstrated that I can overplan one trip and be exhausted and just run, 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 run. And that's totally not how to enjoy yourself. And then I've gone on this, like, long trip tour, you know, for six, it's like six weeks of hiking in Nepal. That I think I'm ready to just have this one week where I did the layover. And I'm not going to show up with a guidebook. I'm going to just play everything by ear. And I'm not going to plan anything. And maybe I'll go up to Chiang Mai. But let's just, like, see how this works out. And it actually was a really great six days Mm -hmm. of just... The plan is no plan. Yeah. And that, I think, all of those experiences, as bad as they sound as I'm describing them, have all, like, shaped that kind of mentality for Mm -hmm, me mm -hmm. to be able to travel by myself and to be able to just sit back and go, all right, so the plan is no plan, and, you know, it's leading me this way. And, you know, much like you were talking about the U.S., well, my plan was to just go through Mexico after going Mm -hmm. through L.A., but then there's this Route 66 thing that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I like about my traveling. No plans, actually. Well, I have plans, but they can be changed, and I am very flexible. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I like, you know, this thing. You have to go with the flow. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm very satisfied with this plan. (laughs) So awesome. I don't know when my trip would be finished. Initially, I was thinking about two years. So one year is done. It's one more year. But uh, I'm not sure that I will finish in one year. <laughs> no. No. I'd say in about uh, 10 or 11 months, you'll be in uh, Brazil and Rio. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to need a little more time to see Africa. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe maybe it would be extended till three years. Who and knows? At that point, <laughs> and at that point, when you go to Africa, you need to be ready for off-road. Well, because I can tell you, without with a degree of certainty, that you will see far more dirt in any in you know in any other country. Africa for sure. Um, South America, I pretty much didn't need to leave the paved road at any point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I'm pretty sure in Africa, the roads are all not paved. Well, I will take Eastern Bud. It's a uh, more civilized and better road, mm-hmm. so um, I think I'll be fine. But but yeah, there are some sections which are not paved. Yeah. But By then, you will have a whole other year of riding underneath your, you know, experience. Yeah, yeah. So right now, I don't worry about that. Uh, mm-hmm. so I will think about it later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I have USA, Mexico, and all the other countries. So, yeah, Africa is still far away. <laughs> yes. Yes, and you've decided you have a love for Mexican food as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, though I haven't been to Mexico yet, but I'm already in love with Mexican was, food. <laughs> was that uh, San Francisco? Where did you start having it? Where you thought, oh, this is great. Uh, <laughs> when did you start like your experience with Mexican food and realizing, man, I love Mexican food and I haven't been Well, it started yet. not in San Francisco. It started even before. Because, okay. Yeah, I tried it uh, actually half a year ago, probably still in Asia when I was Oh, there. no kidding? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they have awesome. all kinds of foods and yeah, I realized that I love it. <laughs> See, so. my, my counterpart for the podcast, Joanne, uh, relocated from San Francisco, hmm. which has pretty good Mexican food. Um, Probably not as great as L.A., but pretty Mm -hmm. good for California. (laughs) Relocated to Philadelphia, and she can't find any good Mexican food to save her life. However, you're telling me that in Singapore and in Asia, there is really good Mexican food, and so that just cracks me up. Well, uh, 
I cannot compare it with real sure, Mexican sure, food, absolutely. right? So maybe when I get to Mexico, I will realize that <laughs> <laughs> everything that I tasted before, it was nothing. Uh, I tried in, in Australia also Mexican food. So it, it was good for me that would at be, that stage. That would be great, though, that if you were to come back and say, you know what, yeah, the Mexican food in Singapore is about as good as the Mexican food in Mexico. <laughs> That's going to make Philly look so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see, we'll see. I look um, forward to having that discussion with you. <laughs> sure, but I'm sure we love Mexico. There is something about it. <laughs> yeah. But for sure, the benefit of being in this whole adventure travel community, whether or not your, you know, experiences moving forward through Mexico and Central America are related to the people you meet on Facebook, or whether it's the adventure motorcycling community, I'm sure that, you know, it'll just continue to amaze and be like this amazingly welcoming community for being such a small amount of people. Yeah. It's like one person opens their Rolodex and then suddenly you've got, you know, one person in every country to talk to from here all the way down to Argentina. Yeah. So that will no doubt be amazing. Yeah. I'm really looking forward for that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for hanging out and taking some time off of your brief visit to L.A. to uh, have a little chat with us and tell us about your journey. Thank um, you for inviting me. It was really a pleasure to meet you and to talk. And your, uh, your page on Facebook... Uh, I have two pages. Mm -hmm. Uh, My personal is uh, Anna Grichishkina. Well, my last name is a bit complicated. Yeah, don't worry. (laughs) We have show notes that go with all of these, so I'll be sure to put that on there. And And then the other one is... Yeah, another one is like a projects page. It's female world trip on motorcycle. Perfect. uh, And actually, both of these pages are quite the same. Yeah. So I copy all the posts from my project page into personal one so you can follow any of it so it's either Anna Grichishkina or female world trip on motorcycle and my website sure I have a dream rtw.com perfect well we look forward to catching up with you when you come back from New York and make your way back through LA sure sure I think I'm sure I'll have a lot of things to tell you (laughs) awesome well thank you very much thank you